right. <laughs> Here we go. On the top of my page, it says hustle. So we got to go. Here we go. Good morning. Welcome, Water City. We're glad you're here. This morning, we're rolling up our sleeves. We're getting into week two through the series that we're just calling The Way of Jesus. Um, the idea of this is that eventually this is going to grow into a discipling, um, I don't even know the word, curriculum's not the right word, a thing. It's going to live as a discipleship package that we are, uh, well, we're, we're kind of doing it together as a group and then discussing it and whatever. And so, uh-oh, connection. Okay, here we go. So uh, a couple books, I only brought one of them up here, but a couple books that we're using through this series. Um, this morning, we're going to kind of dig into this, but this is called Praying Like a Monk, Living Like a Fool by uh, Tyler Stanton, uh pastor of Bridge City, Bridgetown Church out in Portland. Um, I'm really enjoying Tyler in um, his, his teaching and just the way he thinks and so and then the other one is by Mike Cosper it's called recapturing wonder um and actually to go along with that this morning uh Mike Cosper writes in recapturing wonder he says we're not called first to act but to cease we're not called to act first but to cease stand and look the work that so much of our lives are spent frantically trying to accomplish. Self-justifying spiritual work, a hunger to learn or to earn the approval of others, our own internal moralistic standards, it's all already been finished. So stop struggling to earn approval. All is accomplished in Jesus. From there, he goes on, he says, in her uh, gorgeous memoir, H is for Hawk, Helen McDonald tells the story of raising uh, a goshawk, a goshawk, goshawk, that's it, is Becca, Becca's not in the room, a goshawk, after, uh, actually after her father passed away, and her memoir, it's the story of grief and loss, and in a way, he says it's about resurrection too, as she works to teach this feral and powerful creature to fly and to hunt with her. One day of her early and failed attempts to fly the hawk, she joins her friend Stuart on the English countryside, disappointed that the hawk won't fly, and on their walk back to their cars, they're moving through this field. And Stuart stops dead. And she turns to him and says, Stuart, look, he says, look at that. What? I say, turning and shading my eyes, I can't see anything. He said, look toward the sun. I am, she said. And then he said, look down. And then I see it. The bare field that we'd flown the hawk upon is covered with gossamer, millions of shining threads combed downward across every inch of soil, lit by the sinking sun, the quivering silk suns like shines like light on water all the way to my feet. It's a thing of unearthly beauty in the work of a million tiny spiders searching for new homes. Each had spun a charged silken thread out into the air to pull it from its hatch place 
ascending like an intrepid hot air balloonist to drift and disperse and to fall. And I stare at the field for a long time. Charlotte's Web, right? What McDonald experiences in that moment is revelation. Those shimmering threads had been there the whole time while standing in the field watching the hawk willing it to fly. Her world was cold and hostile. But given a few words and standing in a different place, her way of seeing was transformed. Our lives are very much about seeing. And so as we move through this series that we've called The Way of Jesus, um, there's this temptation in this that it's just going to be one more series about four spiritual practices, four rhythms of the life of a Christ follower. But see, if we're only looking at the things that we do, you can do these things and not be a Christ follower. In fact, it's offensive and frustrating to me when I hear people talk kind of spiritual language and, you know, and then you dig into their bio or their things that are their specialty in, among other things like transcendental meditation or whatever stuff, they list something from Christian context. So it's a potpourri of spiritual things and rhythms. See, this morning isn't about giving us just uh, a little bit uh, cooler information about something that if you've been around church, you've been hearing your whole life. This morning is a reminder to us that these rhythms of faith, they, they are um, they're intended to lead us into the presence of Jesus. They make, see, you can, uh, this morning we're talking about prayer. You can pray in the morning for a certain amount of time and have it have a benefit to you. Medically, your blood pressure could go down. It could center you. It can do all the things that just meditating can do for us. Science and medicine tells us it's good to meditate. But see, if we aren't centering on Jesus, at the end of that time, our blood pressure might be down. We might be a little bit more relaxed. We might whatever, but it's still us. And we're still moving out from that space the same as who we were when we moved into it. And so the idea is we move through these. We're spending two weeks now in prayer, this week and then next week. Um, as we move through these, it's not just more church information or the kinds of things that Christians do. This is about us encountering Jesus. And see, all of this is a waste of time. You're wasting my time and I'm wasting your time if we just get together and talk about interesting things that have to do with the Bible, interesting things that have to do with church history, interesting things that we didn't know before this and we are not encountering Jesus. And so I don't have a way to hold your hand to lead you to Jesus. I can't do it. And also... In moving through this, I can say, here's the kind of space and rhythm where he seems to show up in our life in. And so the last thing I want to do through this series is come across from 
this space of saying, here are these things that I'm really good at, and I want you to just mimic my rhythm. In fact, I was talking with Amy last night um, about this and just said that I'm not quite sure where we're going to start in this because the place that I feel like we need to start, it's actually not a place that I'm crushing right now. And so it's one thing to to share and have it be like, and so this is how this past week, we're talking about prayer. This past week I spent an hour a day in prayer, and you need to spend an hour a day in prayer. That isn't the case at all this week. In fact, this week was here in town a pastor's convention. We had a business meeting for our denomination over at the convention center, and it was as dry as you think it is, right? Yeah, and poor Rachel had a lot of work to do this week. So, Rachel, thanks for doing all the things they asked me to do. <laughs> but it's easy. Here we had this. It was mo- Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and we had business meetings, and we also had worship, and we had communion, and we had all these things. And it's easy to go through the motions of things of faith and things of church and walk away from that tired and drained and wondering. And see, and that's easy. You're like, well, that's a business meeting. See, the same thing, though, can happen in a gathering like this. We get together. Some of you are people people, and so getting together with people, you're, like, flying anyway. Others of us it are, you know, it's a, it's a little harder to get together with people. And we're a little drained on the other side of it. And, well, what was that about, and was it worth it? As we move through this, this again is not just about giving us more things to do or more areas that we should feel bad about not doing, okay? This isn't a motivate us to pray more because you're not praying enough and you stink at it, so let's get better about it. It isn't this at all. See, last week we looked at this, and we're not going to dig all the way into it. We might circle back on it next week, but we live in a world that's been labeled a lot of things. But we live in a world and in a time where we measure and weigh and in, in quantify and graph, and we live in a, in a material world. And the world that we live in is lost. It's, it's lost its mystery. We've lost. See, in our time's different than the time where the prophet Jeremiah lived, and yet there's some overlap with us. And in Jeremiah, last week we saw this God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, to a people who were in a time of turmoil. Their economy was about to tank. Their political system was about to explode. The institutions that they relied on for stability were in upheaval. Even their religious uh, institution, the temple, was about to be completely destroyed. And to those people who were looking on and seeing that their world was about to flip upside down in it, and it was kind of their fault, actually. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. It's this invitation to get back to the former things. This isn't just about conservatism and getting back to the 1950s or whatever the way it gets talked about in our context. This is there are deeper, truer, 
purer, more holy and sacred things. Get back to those. Get back to those. Those rhythms, those practices, those things. But it's not just the stuff we do. Jeremiah says, go to the crossroads, stop and look. And last week we ended with this, that that our life of faith begins in stillness. So our life of faith, follower of Christ, I know it's about uh, coming to church and serving in the nursery and going to this and doing that and giving this and all of that, but all of that comes from a place of stillness. Or it's supposed to. And in this, this message to them is the same to us. We might not be ancient Jews facing down an invading empire that's conquered every nation that it's set its eyes on, but we face the same disruptions and stuff they did. Does it feel like any institutions that were solid are now not so solid? Does it feel like some of the things that you thought had firm foundations and wouldn't be shaken are cracks? See, that's actually not such a bad thing because there's a deeper and truer way that promises rests for our souls. So regardless of what polls say, regardless of what the Dow Jones is doing, regardless of what our national GDP is, regardless of what your kid's GPA is, regardless of what position you got or got passed over for, regardless of all of that, there is a deeper and truer way that promises rest for our souls. But see, along the way, we've traded this in for, I don't necessarily, I know I need rest for my soul, but I'll just take a raise. Because a raise, if I can get just a little bit more, that'll take some of the pressure off things. Or I know I need rest for my soul, but man, if I could just have a car that would start every time instead of every other, that would be great. Or if I could just move through the day with one less fight with the kids. Or if I could, we all have a context where we go, yeah, I know, deeper, truer rest for my soul would be amazing, but I'll just take just a little less conflict. That'd be great. And we've swapped out. God promises us something. And we've swapped it out for something less. We've taken Turkish delight when there's actually a banquet feast promised to us. So this morning, we're looking at one element of, and even over the course of these weeks, we're not going to cover all of what the, 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 the paths are, the deeper, the truer, the... But these four are essential to us. And as we're moving through these, you're going to find that there is simplicity in them as well. And it's interesting that one author... I've been reading, talks about how beautiful it is that the things that God calls us into, the essential things, that there is a simplicity to them. If you've got your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 11.
I've been listening to a lot of Tim Mackey this week, and there's this part of me that wants to go, how are you doing? Because <laughs> that's what he always does. I'm like, so, uh, you all right there, Norwegians? We doing okay? Everyone okay? All right. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. If you've been around the church for four months, we've used this text. It's okay. We're going to do something different with it. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples, John the Baptist. He said to them, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to need to sign up for this conference. It's going to be really great. We're going to go to this place. No one else is going to be around. And then we're going to do hours and hours of seminar and teaching about prayer. There's no one he does at all, is it? He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come on a journey and has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up to give you the bread because of friendship, what a great friend, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The way of Jesus that we're beginning with is the way of prayer. Now, we could have just as easily begun with the way of Scripture. Because it's in it's in. Scripture, it's in the Bible that we encounter God and his word, but we encounter God through the person of Jesus. Through all of human history, God has revealed himself, made himself known, called humanity to himself. We could go through the biggest story arc all the way back to the creation narrative where God is making himself known to his people. And see, there's a lot of gurus, and there's a lot of spiritualists, and there's a lot of just people who talk other stuff, who want to talk about God, and talk about the ways of God, and talk about the things of God, and talk about spiritual things, and talk about mystical things, and talk about other things. And not all of that is grounded in Scripture. And see, follower of Christ, you need to be in the Bible. Being in God's word 
is the space where we most clearly see him. Does God speak through other things? Yes, God speaks through other things. Creation declares his glory. And all truth is God's truth. But he has chosen to specifically reveal himself through the words of this text. But see, the weird thing about the Bible, whether you've read it a lot or whether, whoop, whether you've not read it at all, we all have some kind of context with books and with reading old books. Maybe you've read some Homer. Maybe you've read some Shakespeare. Maybe you've read some Dickens. Maybe you've read some Plutarch on accident. Or maybe we all have a context for reading a book. See, and so reading a book, even though the Bible is a different kind of book, you can actually get a translation that kind of feels like it's not that old of a book. But see, this isn't that other reading the Bible. Prayer is completely other. Prayer is completely other. See, we're living in a time, and we've said that this is an age of disenchantment, and so this really the, the, the underlying thing of this series is to move us away from this idea of like, yeah, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and I don't know about this. It's, this. it's this sense, this reminder, like this morning as we were singing, is he worthy? That there is something more and deeper going on that, that we come into contact with from time to time. Some of the early Christian, um, the early Celtic Christians in uh, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, um, had this idea called thin space. And in thin space, it was this idea that there are certain places that are just more sacred, more holy, more able to be aware of God's presence in. And if you go to Ireland, like, everywhere is thin space because it's a really small island. But there are these places where you go, and I can remember doing a bunch of reading. A friend of mine and his wife are from Ireland, and Amy and I were able to visit there a couple times. And, and we went to the Isle of Iona. And on Iona, there's this monastery, and it's this great, just there's high crosses and all these kinds of things. And going there and riding the ferry to get to the Isle of Iona and listening to the music on the way with the bagpipes and the Ilian pipes and the whole nine yards. And we're going to have a moment. And got there, and you know what it's like? Madeline Island. Kind of like Mackinac Island once you get away from the fudge and taffy. Kind of like just a normal place. And see... It's not that there's not spaces that are maybe more sacred or more holy, but there's actually not spaces that are more sacred and more holy. Because remember that one story where that guy who was a shepherd who killed somebody and was hiding for his life? Remember Moses when he was out and he's running away and he's hiding and he doesn't yet know that he's Moses, the one who's going to deliver Israel? And he stumbles into this space, and there's this bush that's burning, but it's not going away. And a voice from the bush says, take your sandals off. This space is holy. It's interesting because before he got to wherever that was, it was in a canyon or around a bend or something, everywhere he was, even up to that space, was holy. Holy. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Bible says. There is nothing so sacred that it cannot be made common. And there is nothing so common that it cannot be made sacred. We're going to celebrate communion in a little bit. That is the living testament of bread and juice or wine, something very, very common, holding a sacred. But on the flip of that, even in the context of that, something that is sacred, well, all the time we make those things common. And so don't get stuck in this idea that you can only encounter God in thin spaces. I got to go to Iona. I didn't even know that existed, but now I got to go. When we were there, the monastery was under construction. What a bummer, right? The pictures look a little bit weirder. You got to, did you go to Iona? No, should have. It's awesome. It's the best ever. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. We all have spaces that are thin right now in your car on the way to lunch, in your space where you have coffee every morning. It's not just going to somewhere sacred, some site, some shrine, some whatever. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It is our change of perspective that when we begin to see, okay, God, you're doing this. You are present. You are at work. And prayer is one of those things that Well, it it changes our view. So Philippians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church, writing to you and I, says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now we could spend... Today and next week as well, and just unpack this, but but and we are going to talk about prayer, and we are going to talk about what prayer is, and we are, and don't miss that this is in Christ Jesus. It's not just praying, but each of these rhythms, the, the center mass that we are orbiting around in these is Christ. And so... How are we encountering Jesus when we pray? And the question that's underneath this, we're going to do more with this next week, is how did Jesus pray? And the week after that is how did Jesus interact with Scripture? And then how did Jesus gather? And then how did Jesus serve? Because see, this isn't just about getting a couple good stories. There's actually a lot better story from the Old Testament. We could be in Second Kings chapter 6, where the prophet Elisha is, is hiding for his life. And there's an army in front of him, and his servant is like, we are doomed. And the prophet Elisha, his prayer is, it's so simple and small, and one that we should pray. It's, God, open his eyes that he might see. That's it. And then God opens the servant's eyes and he looks and he sees the angelic host, the thousands upon thousands, the ten thousands upon ten thousands. And so if you are this morning finding yourself in a place where this doesn't, uh, where you're just drained 
and you're looking and you're seeing nothing but tension and stress in relationships or the bills or the uncomfortable at work or, or the diagnosis that you hoped wouldn't happen, then maybe for you the thing, the only thing you need this morning is simple prayer of Elisha, God, open my eyes so that I can see. But it's interesting, Jesus never actually prays that prayer. Jesus never, with his disciples having things going on where they're like, we don't have enough food. Jesus doesn't pray, Father, open their eyes so that they can see they're going to have enough food. Jesus' prayers are a little bit different. So his disciples say, teach us to pray, and then he gives them the disciples' prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, which is interesting. But anyway, Paul on that goes, so don't be anxious about anything. And if you have any anxiety in your life, you've probably read this or had somebody say this to you, and you go, thank you very much. Nothing changed. Right? Or maybe it did. But see, what happens is, is we know this is in the Bible, and so we turn to this, and then we say it over ourselves, or we read it into our life, or we journal it, or we watercolor it, or we whatever it, or we give it to other people, or we text them. We go, man, why isn't this just doing anything? This might be a new text to you, or maybe you've known this for a while. And maybe you've Maybe you've prayed this. Maybe you've said this. Maybe you've had somebody say this over you and you still feel that anxiousness. Thank you very much. Tyler Statton says, I'm better acquainted with the subconscious drive to control the circumstances overwhelming me than with accepting the unburdening freedom promised in prayer. God promises peace, a supernatural sort of peace we can't even logically reason out. In place of crippling anxiety, in the means of this exchange is prayer. Now, don't hear this this morning as a like, so just pray and you'll never need to talk to a counselor. Just pray and you'll never need to take your anti-anxiety meds. Just pray and you won't. This isn't that. That is... Does God deliver people who are under anxiety, who have? Yes, he does. But the path into that, and that may be a process for the whole of your life. And that's not speaking a curse on anyone who has anxiety in their life. Can we just get rid of that kind of language? It's a realization that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and complicated individuals. And we need all of the resources that God makes available to us. And for some, it's only been prayer. And in that, not that much. But it's, I can't talk to somebody else. I can't let them into my world. Or I can't let them know what's going on in my life or whatever. That's, that's a fallacy and that's a lie. And so I don't know the path forward for you in this. It may be a varied, but do not discount the importance of seeing somebody who's trained in this and prayer. But see, we don't pray. 
I mean, you pray. I mean, collectively. The thing that so resonated with me in this is not coming from a place of like, I'm crushing it as it comes to prayer. I've had seasons where where each day is started in prayer. I've been in my chair, reading my book, reading my devotional, and then praying, and Amy's in the couch, and she's reading her book, and she's reading her devotional, and then we're and then we're praying together, and then the kids come bumbling down the stairs, and then we joyfully go into the day. I think. I have some memories of that. The stage we're in right now isn't quite that same stage. And so... A lot of mornings we are up. Amy's up way better than I am. She's more disciplined than I am. But So if prayer is a struggle for you, yes, me as well. But see, even more than that, not just that it's hard, but some, some don't pray and there's some reasons for it. No, you're okay. There you go. Some of us don't pray, and there's some reasons for it. One, Tyler talks about that in the beginning of this. Rachel just started reading this. She texted me. She's like, I'm loving this book. And I'm like, it's awesome, and I'm totally stealing his chapter one. Here we go. He talks about the fear that we have that shapes why we don't pray. And don't worry, we'll go through these quick. We don't pray for fear of being naive. See, prayer can't be mastered. I don't care what class you've taken. I took a class in Bible college called Devotional Life. It was a class, an actual class. I got a pretty good grade. Amy got a better grade. Okay, I passed. You don't master prayer. Even those of you whose Chapman love language is quality time, and you're spending quality time with God, and it's easy and it's natural, or you're an intercessor and it's easy and it's natural, it's still, see, prayer can't be mastered. Prayer, we can only submit. Prayer is to put ourselves in an unguarded posture. We have to be vulnerable to pray. Hear that. We have to be vulnerable to pray. To really pray. We can't control it. We can't control the outcome. And so we really don't do it because listen, 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 look at me. We're not good at being vulnerable. We're not good at being vulnerable. Why? Because people let us down. Because we've let them into our life. We've let them see a little bit what's going on. And we thought we could trust them with that junk that's there. And we invited them into a process of healing. And when we did, they lit us up. And they screenshotted it and snapped it to everyone else. Or they spread it around the water cooler at work. Or they talked about it. We're not good at being vulnerable. But listen, you can't pray unless you are in a posture of vulnerability. 
But we don't pray because we fear being naive, because we only do the things that we can master. To pray is to trust. To trust is to risk. We don't pray for fear of silence. Dallas Willard says, Silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. And in that quiet, what if there turns out to be very little to just us and God? We don't pray because we fear silence. So we fill it with talking and with memes and with quick slashing comments and with scrolling the feed to see what our friends or people will never actually meet in our life and yet let have influence over our life. Are you kidding me? People that will never know, we want to know what they're doing. Why? Because we are terrified of silence. Because in silence, it's just me. And that isn't a me attacking you. I'm in. If you look at my screen time on my phone, if you saw how much I read the news, how many times I scroll and refresh to see if there's a new headline, why? Because I can't sit in silence with myself. Blaise Pascal, hundreds of years ago, French mathematician, theologian, said most of mankind's problems comes from his inability to sit quiet in a room with himself. And it hasn't changed. When I'm silent with God and praying with God, it's just me. Prayer means silence, and that's terrible when I'm addicted to noise. If you have tinnitus, the ringing in your ear, isn't that a lovely, amazing thing? Team tinnitus? Awesome. It's that constant. But see, if I, if I get just a little bit of noise, then I don't hear it, right? If I just, a little bit of brown noise, get it going. But if I'm quiet in the woods and it's just me, and I'm hearing the ringing. See, I don't want to hear the ringing, so I fill noise. And see, God wants to work in that ringing in our ear. Because we're not created to have it. And so we don't pray because we fear silence. We don't pray for fear of selfish motives. This one seems weird, but stay with me for a second. Some of you are Olympic gold medalists in self-reflection. And in that, have processed through, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Whereas others are just like plowing through life and there's just a wake of disaster behind them, never self-reflecting on anything. But see, all of us, when we pray, encountering God begins to, when we do that, when we hear what we're praying for, it forces us into a place where we go, why am I praying for that? Am I only praying for grandma to get well because I don't want to go through the pain of loss? Am I only praying for the promotion at work because 
I don't want to, am I only praying for my coworkers because they are so wretched I can't stand going into work? Am I only praying for a raise because I want, if we think about what we're praying for, then you go, I don't, I don't even know if I can pray. And so there's this fear of, of are my motives selfish? And so I guess I'm not going to do it. Prayer lays my motives bare, and I, Jason, don't always like that. And the last is, is we don't pray for fear of doing it wrong. I tell the story every time we talk about prayer on my internship when my supervising pastor said after the first time I prayed in a staff meeting, like, I'm going to pray. You asked me to pray, I'm going to pray. And and he goes, he goes, you you need to learn to pray better. Because every time I had a mental pause, my tick was to say, Lord. And... And you know what? I actually did learn to pray better because God knows who he is, and I don't need to remind him every time I have a pause for a thought. But on the flip of that, that is, I needed to hear that. But see, the, the trouble then is then I say that, and then we all go, do I pray out loud okay? What do I do for my nervous? Mm. See, we don't pray because we fear we're doing it wrong. Or let's say you're never going to pray out loud, but you're still not quite sure if you are praying right. And so are my words right? Are they not right? You feel like one of Jesus' disciples. John taught his disciples to pray. Can you teach me to pray, Jesus? And I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm not eloquent, or I'm not confident, or I don't know the Bible as well, or prayer exposes my insecurities. Isn't that just wild to think about? The one thing in all of these ways of Jesus that is most other and most connects us with the creator of the universe is the one thing that shows us our deepest insecurities. God, do you... You know who I really am when I pray. I'm not even talking about praying out loud. One of the highlights for ministry for me was when a young family coming into faith 10, 15 years ago said, I prayed out loud with my kids for the first time. And I was like, wanted to shoot off fireworks in my yard. Like, that is amazing. And the quick follow-up to that was, don't worry about if you got it right. See, we have this idea, well, let's get to the other side of this. So those are four fears on why we don't pray. But there's, there's, there's antidote to that. Pray because you're overwhelmed. See, we don't pray because we have a fear of being naive. But Tyler Statton says, we've avoided becoming naive, but we've done it at the cost of being overwhelmed. We don't want to be naive, so we do everything we can do to only do the things that we can master. But in only doing the things that we can master, which some of you, you can master a lot, like maybe five things. You're overwhelmed by everything else, just like me. 
I have this and this and this I have to do, and that's three too many, and so nobody gets an email this week. And I don't know if your world is the same as mine, but I feel this. I want to master stuff, and I don't want to look foolish, and I don't want to look naive. And so I'm just overwhelmed. We're afraid comes before faith. It's taking a position that I might not know right now what God is doing, but I know what God has done. We sang it this morning. And I know what God's character is like because he's revealed it to me in the Bible. And I've hung around people who talk about things that God does. But see, what if I... What if I pray and the cancer doesn't go away? Or what if I pray and my dad still drinks? Or what if I pray and I didn't get the job? Or she doesn't come home? Or he's still addicted? What if I pray in that? Trust comes before faith. What then we trust? We're not just tossing thoughts into some cosmic suggestion box. Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus reveals the character of God. Jesus reveals a God that we, can perf- we can't perfectly understand, but he reveals a God that we can perfectly trust. Jesus reveals a God that we can't perfectly understand, but God, Jesus reveals a God that we can perfectly trust. You with me? And we pray because complaints are welcome. See, I'm worried about my motives, but if you get into Scripture, you really get into Scripture, you're going to see that there is a ton of prayers in there that feel like they shouldn't be in the Bible. They're in the Psalms, the book of prayers. Anger, depression, complaints, it's in the Bible. And God doesn't kill the ones who said them. C.S. Lewis says, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. This is who I am, not who I'm supposed to be. One writer says God isn't grading our prayers like essays. He's talking to us like kids. How great is that? See, the way our motives change, our heart, the deepest places in us change, it's not by sitting and working them out in silence. Jay, you said silence in the beginning. I don't know about that. Listen, it's through brutal honesty with God so that he gets to and he can expose them and refine them and transform them in our life. Not praying is not the solution for having bad motives. I'll talk to you when I got it worked out, God. How's that work in a marriage relationship? I'll talk to you when I got my junk together. And we pray because the only way to get it wrong is by trying to get it right. So stumble. If you're new to faith, new to this, stumble. If you've ever tried to do anything that takes practice, how frustrating is it to see others around you who can do it and you can't play guitar, play drums, do a kickflip, write a poem, shoot a free throw, change the oil in a car?
so just do it. See, we read this, don't be anxious about anything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. We, we say this, we pray this, what's right before this? What's right before this? We don't do it because it's a half verse. We don't quite know what to do with that. Here's what you do with that. You do the number, and then you do a B. That says the half. This is what's right before that. The Lord is near. That's the line right before don't be anxious. Why do we start with don't be anxious? Why don't we start with the Lord is near? You want to not be anxious? Remind yourself. You're going to get to prayer. Yes, remind yourself the Lord is near. The Lord is near. God is near. Jay, when you're waking up at 2 in the morning and your heart's racing, and you know you're mostly healthy, but your heart's racing and that's new, are you dying? Am I the only one? Is this new in this season of my life? If you've been there, help me through this. I mean, I know people who died. Yeah. Probably not dying. Okay, God, I have anxiety about something silly. Do I wake Amy up and tell her? No, it's probably. Okay, I'm going to not be anxious. I'm going to not be anxious. That's what you say. I'm going to not be anxious. That's all me. It's empty. And yeah, there are things to do. Give prayer, give petition, do some thanksgiving. Give them to God, but start with he is near. And so in the quiet of that space where the anxiousness is beginning to fill and take over, and God, you are here, you are near. The deep fear that robs our prayer of power is the lie that the Lord isn't near. The lie that God has forgotten me, that I'm not in good hands, that my future isn't secure. It's the worry that at the end of the day, this God, near or far, can't be trusted. That he's something less than who he promised to be. And that really, when it comes right down to it, I'm on my own. Listen, some of you, your story... Your story. And you've had people in your world, and they've, and I know psychiatrists and sociologists and all the is say we project onto God what we've experienced in our own life through parent figures or through authority figures. And so we project onto God what we've experienced. But that is why in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about the importance of the way of Scripture, that we see that I'm not just projecting onto God what I've experienced. God is not what you've experienced in parents. God is not what you've experienced in teachers or a coach or a boss. God is not what you've experienced, even the ones who are doing their best. God is infinitely more than that, infinitely good or infinitely more gracious infinitely more loving, and he is near. And so this morning, I can't, like, make you live this out, but I want to invite you into this place. Next week, we're going to unpack the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray.
But the thing in this that sticks out with me, and we're going to circle back to this next week, is that he says it's the shameless audacity of your prayer that God hears. And so for some of us, it is audacious to even pray. You've grown up in a setting where it is all on you, and you have to figure it out, and you have to blaze the trail, and you have to take responsibility, or no one else is going to. And so the idea that there is even a God, it's audacious. It's ridiculous. Follower of Christ, checking this out this morning, I invite you that if one of these four was like, that is, I can see that in me and a stumble. Name it. And then rage against it this week. Rage against the fear that you don't have the right words, that God doesn't want to hear you. The first time Nolan said ball, as a dad, my boy saying ball was amazing. He did not say it right at all. But I knew what he was saying. And so I threw the ball and we had to worry about the right words. Father knows. Don't worry about that fear of the silence of God. You may speak to nothing where it feels like it. God is there. Or you may be afraid of just, I'm just, it is foolish to talk about prayer and to think about praying. Let's talk about the Bible and Greek and Hebrew words and move Name that fear of being naive and a culture of mastery. That we would have our vision shifted. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for this gathering, for this space. Lord, thank you. This is sacred. And Two and a half hours ago, as we were getting ready, that bathroom, also sacred. And that car ride filled with tension or whatever, also sacred. God, there isn't a moment that we move through the timeline of our life that isn't sacred. And so, Lord, remind us of that. God, as we stumble forward in prayer to connect and to communicate and to share and to weep and to all of it. God, I know that you meet us in that place. We don't need to request it. The RSVP is always checked yes on your side. And so, Lord, I pray that this week we would move close to you. Jesus, reveal yourself to us as we Center in on you, I pray. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning I had asked, Chris had asked Dave, share for communion.